Hello, listener. Welcome to the Switch It podcast. England's Ashes campaign in Australia has once again gone up in smoke following another barbecuing in Melbourne. Joe Root and his team rolled up to the MCG talking of pushing back against the home side, but proved pushovers once again. Dismissed for 185 and 68 to lose by an innings. A cremation as spectacular as any suffered by England since 1882. It was tempting to turn this entire episode into a sort of ASMR therapy tape for the sleep-deprived England fan. Maybe just play the sound of ball hitting middle of bat over and over again to overwrite the sense memory of stumps being shattered and raucous Aussie appeals. But instead, we've got both barrels loaded with Andrews Miller and McGlashan ready to take aim. We'll also hear from Ian Bell and Ryan Harris on the state of the series with two to play. Um, welcome, chaps. Good to, good to have you back. Good to see you. Uh, Miller, I'll come to you first. Have you had your fill of turkey yet? Yes, I've had lots of turkey. It's been, been been delicious. I've actually just spent the morning boiling the bones. So I'm going to make some soup. That's my my, my last last vestiges of turkey. I think that's I think that's a metaphor for England's batting, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> very, very, more flavoursome than England's batting, to be fair. But, uh, yes, but yes, well, uh, more productive as well, I think. Certainly is. I mean, turkey goes an awful long way, which um, yeah, our batting does not. Um, yeah, it's been woeful, hasn't it? I mean, God, I, I, I feel like I've said it all, all before, but um, that test match at Melbourne was just the worst thing I've ever witnessed. I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary that England were so bad that they managed to pack their best day of the series into a two-and-a-bit-day defeat. I mean, how do you even do that? It, you know, they literally had their best day of the series on the second day of that test match. <laughs> and then in an hour at the end of it, they wrecked it, and then they'd lost before they'd even realised where they were the following morning. Um, I don't know how I don't know how you can pull that sort of confidence trick midway through through a test match. It was it was pathetic. Uh, I mean, it's it's also fascinating, isn't it? Just you think about the tightrope that England have been walking for so many years now. You know, we talk about all the all the the, the need for miracles to, to try to try to keep England afloat all the time. That second innings of sixty eight was, of course one more run than England made in the third test of the 2019 series when they made 67 in their first innings. And of course, Ben Stokes pulled his miracle out. Um, you know, England have been, have been teetering on this sort of performance for an awful long time. It just so happens that in Stokes then in Joe Root for most of 2021, they've had, they've had the, the class to, to mitigate on occasions, and you know, had James Anderson producing his his finest spell as well on that on that second day. Uh, England cannot rely on just their best players being their best players all the time. Joe Root still top scored, but only made twenty eight in this occasion, and without him, the rest were well turkeys. To go back to the original point, um, so it, it's it's hopeless, and um, there's no quick solutions, unfortunately. And going by uh, the piece you wrote in the aftermath, it's shaken your very faith in the game. Well, it has actually. I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about that a bit more later. I'm sure, but yeah, I, I, I genuinely think there is a there is a, a concern if England are not good enough to be the the sort of figureheads for Test cricket, then Test cricket is in real problem. You know, it's not overstating the importance of England. Uh, I, I think you know everyone knows that India is the driving force of the game. India is the money of the game. Australia are consistently the best team in the game. I mean, India are, are best better now, but, you know, in, in the grander scheme of cricket's history, Australia, a strong Australia is always good for Test cricket. But I think 
fundamentally, England are probably the most important opponents in world cricket. Uh, they're the most important opponents for Australia because of the Ashes, for India because they, India just loved to beat England for colonial reasons or everything else. And for everyone else, you know, the fact that England's fans travel the world, pump money into the economies of the world, you know, go to the Caribbean and pack out stadiums. England is really, really important to the economics of cricket in a way that goes beyond the pure monetary sense that comes out of India just because of the, the sheer weight of population over there. If England is not going to produce a test team that makes test cricket worthwhile, then, you know, what, what, what you know, you've got the, the world test champions, um, New Zealand, what are they going to do? Just keep playing Bangladesh in bilateral series just to keep ticking over. It's just not sustainable, is it? You've got to have a strong England to have a strong test, test cricket. And um, at the moment, they're not strong. And uh, they haven't been strong for a long time. And unless they get strong again, uh, the, the sport's got real problems. Yes, and I feel we're going to be going over this question a fair bit, um, not just in this pod, but over the coming weeks and months. Um, Nasha, you are, of course, free to pick a side here. Uh, green and gold gloating or, or a lament for England's lack of competitiveness? Well, Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. It's all fine and dandy down here. Ashes wrapped up in 12 days. Bring it on, lads. It's uh, Everyone loves a thrashing in the ashes down here. I don't know what everyone's complaining about. Bring it on. Be a pom bashing. It's what we're, what we're brought up on down here. And if that doesn't, if that doesn't get me citizenship, nothing will. Right. <laughs> but on, on a, on a, on a semi-serious well, Submit note, this as but, evidence to the... Yes. Yes. Thank you. And I'll, I'll be home in a flash. Yes. Um, yeah. On a, on a something more serious note, yeah, should we pick some positives out as Chris Silverwood tried to do um, af after that one? Um, yeah, I, I, on, a, but on a serious point, I do get, and this is almost, and it's been written in a couple of articles down here, and it's almost more of an indictment in a way, that I wouldn't go as far as saying there's sympathy to England, but there's almost an ambivalence to how bad they've been down here. Yeah, I mean, it is, the Aussies have enjoyed thrashing England, keeping the ashes. There's been some good stories in the Australian team as well. They are playing good cricket. I think they'd have beaten better teams than England um, in the way they're playing at the moment. The depth of their fast bowling is as burgeoned over, over these last sort of two or three weeks, or rather we've seen the depth of fast bowling that's been talked about for a while. The, the batting's coming together. Um, uh, bring on the World Test Championship, frankly, they're going to walk it this no, no. They've obviously got to go and win in subcontinent. But even those narratives are quite interesting down here at the moment. But just in terms of these three test matches, I mean... From that first ball in Brisbane um, to then Jimmy Anderson getting castled by Cameron Green before lunch on the third day at the G, it hasn't been a contest for more than a couple of hours uh, at a time with due respect to yeah, that Anderson burst on the second day at, at, at the MCG. I was sort of joking with a former colleague of ours on Twitter briefly towards the end of that day that he'd sort of kind of people were starting to talk about, oh, is this England's best day of the tour? And I sort of suggested the old subs. Um, trick at the end, please just insert the England score at the end of play. Um, XX for X, and it would have been 31 for four. So just tickle the final par, please. And there's the story of the day. But um, yeah, th th there's there's been a there's been a disappointment. A I think actually a bit of a surprise about how bad England have been. I mean, there's been an awareness that England have not been a great Test team for a while, but there were memories of that 2019 series, which Andrew touched on in the first answer um where i mean it was 2-2 two -two and it was it was it was a good 2-2 two -two. it was an exciting 2-2 two -two. there was obviously some extreme innings in the series australia were worthy of retaining the ashes but i don't think there was that big a gap uh, beyond steve smith to the rest of everyone else who played in that series so in the in the intervening two years obviously there's been a lot happen in those two years both in cricket and <laughs> in the world um i think there's been a bit of a shock about this deciding the brought here and the fact kind of summed up by Joe Root's comments 
um, after the game that he still believes either, these are the best 18 players in the county game. Now, that might be right. And if it is, then it's a big problem. Um, and because this is, I mean, we've all been through some bad years of English cricket and one of the stats that England beat this week was their lowest average for a year of test batting since 1999, uh, which was generally of our sort of what we might have watched sort of generally thought of as a, 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 a the worst time, but blindly give me a vintage thought, year, Stuart. I think is the, yes. what you're well, searching yes. for. <laughs> but, but, but bringing a thought, Stuart Atherton, Rampakash, Hussain, Butcher, Ronnie Arani now, and we'd be laughing all the way to, to the bank with those names. Um, so yeah, I think, and that's almost, and, and it, and also as well, the other thing to remember down here is it's been such a long wait for, for Australia to play test cricket again. It was January, at the beginning of the year when they lost to India, they didn't tour at all in the winter as ever the ashes got this huge hype build up. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of the contest, it's fallen, fallen flat on its face, but there is still, there has been a, I think a, a, an enjoyment of watching the Pat Cummins era start. There's been the, obviously the Scott Boland story, which we might touch on again in a bit, was a terrific story for what it means, of course, his indigenous heritage and all, all the narrative around that, the other players that we've seen, but for it to be remembered other than a really one-sided, pretty awful series, there does need to be a contest in these last two games if they both get played. Well, I was going to say, in terms of taking the positives, uh, positive COVID tests might be the best thing England can hope for. Uh, although I know you don't want to hear that, Nasha. Um, <laughs> you, as you mentioned, 12 days to retain the urn. That's less than a period spent in Queensland quarantine. Um, there were more records broken in Melbourne than an accident at a vinyl factory. Um, but unfortunately, England themselves have become a broken record at Miller. Uh, skittled after being inserted and then completely unable to build on the foundations of, of that solid comeback with the ball. Dismissed for their lowest score in Australia since 1904. I mean, there's there's a lot of um, bad numbers to, to potentially pick through. Uh, I want to briefly focus on, on a good one. Uh, amid all this wreckage, Joe Root finished the calendar year uh, with the third most runs um, in, in a calendar year, 1,708 behind only Sir Viv and Mohammed Yusuf. Um, so he's had a decent time of it. Yeah, I mean, it, does it count as a decent time when you've lost eight out of 11 tests or is it nine out of 12? I've lost track now. Um, I don't know. I, I, it must be so lonely for him. I mean, it, you know, it, it's been such a weird year because it all started so, so impressively for England. I mean, this is, this is the really strange thing about where we've got to in this in this year. In the, it began with England winning three tests in a row in the subcontinent of all the random places for them to actually show proficiency. And in so doing, they ended up with a record of six overseas wins in a row because they'd won three in a row in South Africa the previous winter. So, you know, it looked as though England had got something they could work with. I mean, none of that, I don't think, gets away from the point that uh, England have got real problems with the structure, uh, etc. But it looked as though for that brief moment, with Joe Root batting like a god and, you know, double century, massive century, another double century in consecutive first innings to set up impressive victories... It looked as though England had the wherewithal to to make the most of what they got because you know they in South Africa they had blooded a lot of young players. They had that that stat, of course, that uh, there were four twenty-two year olds. I think it was in 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 the winning team in Port Elizabeth and uh, and Don Sibley, Don Sibley was twenty-four as well, and he he was he was performing well. It looked as though and Stokes was in the form of his life. It looked as though England had the the bare bones of a team that could you know 
just just stay in that bubble stay stay together build something that could sort of mitigate the noise outside uh be- become a become a, a proper unit that could rise above the circumstances of of a of a structure that's not looking after them but then of course india turned up the spin settings england overcomplicated things with their rest and rotation policy which i think was the right thing to do in some ways because covid is covid and the amount of time you have to spend in bubbles and isolation and all the rest of it it's draining and there's no two ways about it but i think they overdid it in that period and also the coming back and you know resting their ipl players during that that new zealand series when frankly because they weren't in the ipl they probably should have played um i think they just got away from a winning habit and so you know from that brief moment where it looks as though joe root was shown showing them away it ended up with joe root was the only person who knew the way and everyone else had lost their way and you know i i still think that that turning point was the um the test match against india at lords uh, that England actually were dominating right up until the moment that Jasprit Bumrah bounced James Anderson in a ten-ball over, and England basically lost lost their lost their marbles. They decided to stop trying to go for the win, tried to get retribution for Jimmy, completely dropped the bundle, uh, lost the Test match in ignominious fashion, and have been clueless ever since. Um, Jimmy again managed to get them back into into it headingly, but you know again it comes back to individual brilliance. Joe Root has been individually brilliant all the way through, but at some point in this journey, he's lost all the people who might have been behind, have been behind him and you know uh, slipstreaming him and coming up, you know, you know, chipping a fifty here and a eighty there, and suddenly if Joe Root's getting two hundred a test, you've you've got massive match-winning scores, but no one else has chipped in. What is the next highest average or next highest total of runs is five hundred and thirty. Joe Root passed that in February. <laughs> he had six hundred and twenty by the by the first week of February, and no one else in the entire team has passed six hundred. Hasn't even passed five fifty. And that man, Rory Burns, is now out of the team. Exactly. Uh, and he might be is back the third highest scorer for the year. You can't make this stuff up. <laughs> well, yes, as you say, he might might get another crack um, <laughs> pretty soon. Uh, Nasha, I uh, just want to touch on, you, you've mentioned Scott Boland, uh, Australia's G-Unit, um, before we hear from from Ian Bell and Ryan Harris. Uh, that's a great story for Australia. Uh, he was the man that that um, ended Joe Root's year of run scoring. Um, and that <laughs> those extraordinary figures, six for seven in the second innings, uh, win it, won him the Man of the Match award, the, the Johnny Muller medal, um, and, and a big moment for Indigenous cricket, really, in Australia. Yeah, there was obviously a much wider meaning uh, to that final day performance um, with, with Boland the centre of it, and then, as you say, the Player of the Match award um, and sort of the, the, the wider story around that for Australian cricket um, and Indigenous cricket, um, uh, making it a sport form they talk about down here. And, then, and there's a, a lot of there's a lot to, to do for the game down here um, around that issue. Um, there's probably some tough conversations for the game to have down here as well about that issue. But just as a moment, it was very significant. Only the second male Indigenous Test cricketer, fourth overall, um, to, uh, to play for Australia. So, yeah, hugely significant moment, but just on a purely cricketing level. Um, very smart selection from Australia. Um, clearly, circumstances have played a part in this series with some of their selections and the vacancies opening up. But... Um, Jai Richardson's leg injury opened the door for Boland in this test match. Um, 
but he had been earmarked in the weeks coming in as a bit of an MTG specialist. His record at the G, averaging 14 in first-class cricket, a place over the years has not been easy to bowl sides out twice on, albeit the pitch is a lot livelier now, as we've seen in the last three or four days, than it was when England were last there and Alistair Cook batted for, for three days on it. But um, And George Bailey, the national sector, sort of was up to doing media this morning down here and kind of, it's not a very glamorous thing, I guess, to talk about giving the selectors credit, but just compare it to how England are going at the moment. And obviously there's the big discussion about Chris Silverwood being the, the head honcho of everything at the moment and seemingly every match getting something wrong in terms of selection or planning. Um, George Bailey and, and Tony Dodder made, the, who's new on the selection panel along with Justin Langer, they've made some really good calls the last few weeks. And it's only fair to say that because for a lot of the year, Australian selection was being criticised more specifically around T20, but also about why they didn't rotate bowlers against India this time last year. Well, they've barely put a foot wrong in the last three months. They're right from the Mitchell Marsh batting three in the T20 World Cup, Matthew Wade becoming a finisher, um, right down to your your, your pace bowling stops uh, for this series. Mark, Marcus Harris coming back and making a real gutsy 79 in tough conditions. Cameron Green's bowling, Alex Carey being the keeper bat. So, I mean, just a lot of a lot of good boxes ticked for Australian cricket and their focus now is switching to, which is a bit of an indictment of England, is that their focus is now switching to the subcontinent tours they've got coming up over the next 12, 18 months. They go to Pakistan, Sri Lanka and India, which are their overseas assignments for the World Test Championship this time. And there is even talk now of whether they can find a space to give Mitchell Swepson a debut at the SCG, the leg spinner who plays for Queensland. Um, and kind of... I. But I think if the Ashes were alive, it'd be a very different conversation. I'm not sure you'd see them going in with two spinners. And I'm still not sure they will because they've seen how vulnerable England are to pace and they probably wouldn't mind another three-day test match. But just the whole sort of um, psyche of Australian cricket at the moment, it's from where it was six months ago, much more positive. As ever, when you're winning, you suddenly seem to have more players. You just look at the BBL, for example. Last night, you had Ben McDermott smash his second 100 in consecutive games, suddenly let's talk about Hingle coming back into the team, Josh Philippe's scoring runs again, Sean Abbott, brilliant match winning performance yesterday. Um, it's like the 1990s all over again for depth in Australian cricket. All of a sudden, <laughs> clearly that's what a few Ashes wins does, but there is a feel now that there is something bubbling up here in Australian cricket. There are some issues to resolve still, um, some rather big ones, particularly one around the coach and the recent departed former captain. Uh, but in terms of on the field performances, you can't quibble about the last few months. Let's have a word with our expert guests once again, courtesy of Bet365, Ian Bell and Ryan Harris. There are two tests to go in this series, but already the inquests are in full flow. Ian, uh, hopefully you're not getting uh, sledged too hard over in Hobart. Uh, You'll know what the atmosphere is like in the England camp right now. How difficult is it working and playing in that sort of environment? And, And what can England still salvage from this tour? Uh, to be fair, first, actually, it's not been too bad. Actually, the lads have gone quite easy on me, which actually is, is quite nice in a way. Maybe they just feel really sorry for us. But um, <laughs> It's worse yeah, it's, in a way. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it probably is. Um, <laughs> look, I think when it gets down to this, and, and like you said, it's it's been pretty tough to watch. I didn't expect it Australia to win this easy. We've talked a lot about it, and there was opportunities. I thought England could really fight in this series. So I think it's really disappointing the way it is but again I'm not going to sit here again I've I've lost 5-0 on these tours I know how hard it is to play in these conditions um I think when you get to this point now I think there's a mixture of individually and as a team what you've got to do I think individually you're you have to look at yourself in the mirror now and go right I'm leaving this tour with something 
um, and you've just got to keep fighting. There's nothing else you can do. You've got no other option um, just to really get stuck in. Um, I think one thing you have to realise, again, everything does get very emotional. I think the guys that are in the bubble now, you're not going to be looking, or I hope they're not looking at social media and all this stuff, but their important thing now is, you know, they speak to the people around them, their families, the team, and they've got to stay tight. If there's any fractions in it, that's when it's worried, worrying. I, I suppose I've been on three tours to England. The last one in particular, we it fractured. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's obviously everyone's read KP's book and everyone's listened to what happened. It started fracturing. I hope this it, that doesn't happen. They stay tight. Um, it is really tough, this. And again, whether we lose 4-1, 5-0, to me, it doesn't matter. You've lost the Ashes. I know that some people will say losing 4-1 is better, but for me, you've lost. Um, but there's a lot of individuals that have things to play for. So th that's the first thing for me would be you've got to start looking at your game. Don't look at anyone else. Start looking at you. Get, make sure you turn up in the right frame of mind in those last two tests and, and put in performances for yourself. But as a team, just stay as tight as they possibly can. They can't have people you know, going off and it's bowlers v batters and point of, you know, finger pointing. So <clears throat> I think um, through my experiences of going through tough times here, that's something they're going to have to really do really well. Um, obviously, as you say, the, the ashes are gone. So that's the, uh, that was the priority, um, whatever the final scoreline is. Um, there won't be another shot at regaining those for, for two summers over here. Uh, and, and it'll, there'll be talk of responsibility and so on. I mean, do, do you look at the, the coach and the captain here and, and, and the planning, which we talked about so much in the build-up, which seems to have gone badly awry, or is it a, a much bigger structural issue for you? Uh, I think there's a bit of, bit of both. I think we've been in really tough times. I think we can't, I don't think it's a crutch you can run away from the results and how we've played, but we've played more cricket than anyone else in COVID period. So I think you've got to give credit to the players for getting out there and doing that. Uh, they've been in a lot of bubbles, so you've got to give them credit for that. Um, I'm a big believer going into Ashes series. You need to have consistency on selection and build momentum into a series. So that batting order has to be scoring big runs consistently going into it. I don't think you can chop and change and rest players in that place. You have to be building a side and knowing your best 11 come Brisbane. Same with the bowling. Um, I understand why. And like I said, it's not easy. We're not going to... Hindsight's very easy to do that. And actually, when you're making those decisions it's, it's very tough but you know for me I, I think that's something I only looking at the success we had in 11 it was a it was a build up over 18 months of consistent whether it was 11 12 13 different players playing day in day out getting to know each other's roles under pressure you know playing good cricket and then going there for something that's going to be a real challenge and I think we haven't allowed ourselves to build that momentum it's just been chopping and changing all the time we don't have a number one spinner that we have confidence in, which is, is hard, you know, and then you could argue the selection. For me, Jimmy plays every game we can, or he can physically get out there unless he's, you know, he's injured. So, um, yeah, there's a number of things we can talk about. Uh, I, I think that if we had our time again, I'd like to see more of a consistent build-up. Um, but, yeah, it's just really disappointing, really. And, and at the moment, the hardest thing at the moment is going to be very emotional, isn't it? And we've, we've talked a lot about that, that, you know, when you lose an Ashes uh, and heavily, uh, everything has to change. But I think you, there has to be a point where you take your time in these decisions. You have to um, take stock, let the emotion go and make the right decisions. Um, there's a lot of talk, like you said there, about the captain and coach. For me, I think Joe Root, it's on his terms for me. Um, you know, he's been an incredible player. He's carried this team in the batting for the last 12, 18 months. 
uh, he's been in, incredible. So I think it's up to him. If he wants to carry on, I think that I'm right behind him on that decision. Um, and then, uh, you know, and unfortunately, the world we live in in professional sport, especially English cricket, if you lose the Ashes, there's always going to be somebody who's the full guy. So who knows what's going to happen to, to Silvers? We know that he's a, a top bloke. Um, I hope he can get the opportunity to put this right. Um, but who knows what's going to happen going forward? Yeah, and, and um, just on uh, on one of those those uh, big structural issues, sort of batting in county cricket, you were playing um, still with Warwickshire, I think, until last summer. In that time, in your time in the game, do you think first class batting uh, in in England um, the quality has has dropped? No, I do think that. I mean, I again, so the, for me, the difference was that when I first started, you still had the early games in April. You still have a game of a block of four or five games through that April period where you had to really scrap hard runs. But what you knew was going to happen by July, August came round, you were going to be playing championship cricket in that. And that was your time to cash in as a batsman. Uh, unfortunately, what's happening now is that there is no cricket in July and August. That's filled with T20 and white ball cricket. And all of a sudden, those bowlers who are getting all the all the red ball special bowl, specialist bowlers, do well in April, they have two or three months off and then you see them in, in September when it's the same conditions again. So there's no period really cash in. So there's something that has to be looked at. Um, I know people have talked about, do you have, do you go bring it down to 10 teams? Do you, you know, there's lots of different ideas on the table, but I, I do think uh, having, when I finished with England and went back into counter cricket, um, batting was not particularly easy. And you see that in the number of runs and how many people score a thousand runs. I think when I started county cricket, most counties would have two or three guys who'd score a thousand runs a year regularly and they wouldn't even be seen as England players or potential England players. Um, and that's what you had to do consistently to then play for England at the moment. I don't know how many did it last year. Two, one. I don't know how many scored a thousand. Like a thousand runs in county cricket now is particularly hard. So something has to be looked at, you know, on that side from the batting, I think. Um Ryan, you're you're sitting uh, pretty there. Uh, uh, I'm sure it feels feels good to have the urn, or at least it's a replica, uh, safely under wraps. Um, with with the way the first two tests have gone, I mean, you've been very uh, kind, very complimentary about England uh, <laughs> as the series was sort of uh, leading in. But were you were you at all surprised at how easily um, Australia had things at the, at the MCG? Uh, well, I've been surprised. I guess to sit here at three 0 I, you know, I, and the way it's been done is surprising. Definitely, there's no doubt about that. And then, um, you know, everyone was talking about this England squad coming out was being, you know, being a bit younger and probably inexperienced than than what has been out in the past. Um, I am surprised. I, you know, that, that that it's it's over so quickly. That that's probably the biggest surprise to me. But. Um, Oh, I've been nice. That's 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 how I am. It's obviously nice sitting here as an Australian cricketer, um, three 0 up with the Ashes done. There's no doubt about that because that's what you aim to do. You you aim going into a series to win the Ashes as soon as you can. Um, yeah, as I said, sitting here three 0 I, I didn't expect that. And as I said, and 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 I'm saying it's easy. It's never easy. Uh, I guess the dominance that we've had over England's probably surprised me a little bit. Um, but again, I'm very happy. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, but you know, and I'm not going to comment on England. I'm not, I'm not in their camp, or I'm not obviously an England cricketer. But um, I, I think you know, just 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 what Ian said, I spot on. Agree with him that you know, going and going and panicking, and you know, and, and making wholesale changes and sacking captain and coach. I don't think that's the way to go. We lost the series, you know, in England. Um, 
in 2013. Um, we lost at 3-0. I think we probably felt we probably should have won that series in a way. We didn't. We lost 3-0. We came back and won 5-0. Um, there weren't too many changes made. And um, yes, you can, you know, you can, and I think some, Ian makes some really good points about county cricket and there's obviously going to be some soul searching going on. Um, but I think the strongest way to hold on and hold foe is to keep your core players together. These young guys now, I think Ian mentioned it, you know, they're, they're young. Some of them are young. They might be back here in a few years. So the next two tests, make the most of the conditions and learn as much as you can. If you lose 5-0, you know, you've lost the ashes. Um, make, make the most of the opportunity and the conditions and get to know as best you can the, the conditions. And when you come back here, hopefully you're a better player. Um, I particularly wanted to talk to you about about fast bowling. Uh, as uh, we saw some uh, some pretty good examples of that in Melbourne. Uh, obviously, Scott Boland's man of the match performance, but that spell on the uh, the second evening kind of lit up the G with um, Pat Cummins and, and Mitchell Stark steaming in, uh, and then then Boland got his two in and over as well. I mean, uh, how good was that to watch, and 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 how tough? you know, for, for mitigation from the England perspective, you know, facing that quality of fast bowling. Yeah, I mean, I, that brings back a lot of memories to me because we had a couple of those spells in, in well, situations in 2013-14. And I know from a player point of view or a bowling point of view, when when you're, you're in that, you know, you've got that short period to bowl and, and, and you know that um, you want to put pressure on the opposition. And, and, and then when the crowd gets behind you, when you get one or two wickets and you think, you know, you, you might say going out there, let's get three or two or three within the day. When you when you get your tail up and you get the momentum, you get obviously the home crowd behind you and the noise. It's amazing what that can do. And I think that, that the quality of bowling, um, you know, it's been great through the whole series. But that I think that last little bit obviously made some more well, course and, you know, some, some obviously some damage, but put some demons in maybe, the, you know, the, the English lineup. And, and I think um, the pressure they built, the wickets they took, um, you know, it was phenomenal. And, you know, to, to you know, to probably come come away from a, a disappointing batting performance that they had, we, you know, we should have probably had a lot bigger lead um, than, than we did. Uh, you know, even when we were losing wickets, I thought if we could get to 100, 120, it would definitely put a lot of pressure on England, a lot more pressure. Um, seeing the seeing what the wicket was doing, it was still, I mean, it was still moving around, especially with a new ball. It was definitely a new ball wicket. And, um, but you know the way I think Cummins and Stark made you know got a few runs to get it up to eighty I think it was and then to come out and bowl the way they did was yeah it was amazing and and again when you're in that situation um, momentum a uh, bit of adrenaline uh, noise and crowd it's amazing what it does and and I think that again that just shows the dominance that we've had um, you know and for a guy to come in like Scotty Bowling um, to do that in his first test to be able to maintain that pressure. Um, I think, you know, massive credit to him and, and you know, it was amazing. Again, it was, as you said, it was amazing to watch. Um, and just a quick word on, I, mean, I suppose England didn't have many bright spots in that game, but 39-year-old James Anderson, um, he's, he's still doing okay at, at the highest level there. Yeah, look, there's no doubt about Jimmy. I mean, I, I watch him in awe and see what he does still and I think that showed what he, you know, he's, he's, he's there's no doubt he's still got it. I just wish he had of played in Brisbane and bowled that length uh, and bowled a little bit more in even Adelaide that length, that fuller length. Um, we, we, you know, I, I think that I hope, again, I'm, I'm not in England camp, but I hope everyone's sort of sat back and watched um, the length he bowled there and, and the damage you can do on, the, on that length, the fuller length, you know, to bowl a bit fuller and 
and get you can get driven, but you're going to get wickets. And I think he showed that. There's no doubt about the James Anderson. And it, the way he's going, he could play with his 50. The, you know, the way he's, the way he's, his body's going, the way he's putting the ball where he wants to put it. Um, you know, you know, there's no doubt he led from examples. Great conditions were, were great, were good for, for for all bowlers, but he just showed, um, you know, that the, the, what 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 bowling a fuller length he can do in in Australia. Um, and and again, I just wish he'd had to play that Brisbane game and done the same thing. It, the result may have been different up there, but um, I look all credit to him. Um, you know, I know I read David David Warner's comments over the last couple of days. You know, he's 35. He's in awe of, of Jimmy and the age of, that he's at. Um, he wants to go back to England and try and conquer England and Brody. Um, and maybe Jimmy, who knows? <laughs> but um, no doubt about it, he's a legend. And I know, I know, the, I know the Australian players um, absolutely appreciate what James Anderson has done uh, over, you know, the time he's played. And again, hopefully for, for a few more years to come. He'll probably still be leading the attack uh, when when England come back, back your way in four years' time. Um, Ian, um, England, obviously, um, all they can really do from here is save face in, in Sydney and Hobart. Um, can you see them nicking a test there? Or is it more, as you sort of mentioned, about a few individuals standing up and making an impact? Well, I mean, at the moment, like I said, what I've, I don't see it, if I'm honest with you, um, purely off the back. The, the fact as well that the guys who have come in to they've played no cricket so like I don't know what we were quite expecting as well like Bearstow and Crawley to do they, they literally hadn't I don't I think they could have played the the, the um, Australia A game but they didn't so they, they've been out here they've had a few middle practice in nets but that's a very different thing to going into a Boxing Day test match so I think we've got to be um, you know, reality as well as you know is the fact that I can't see the way the pressure that, it, that Australia put on this side how it can change um, and I've said before, I, when Australia get on top, they're very hard. They're probably the best in the world at, you know, just being ruthless. They don't let you back in. So I just can't see how we can. I hope we do. Um, maybe again, when we get to Hobart, the pink ball under lights, it's a bit cooler. It's a bit more English kind of conditions. Is there a chance to nick it? But again, I think if we were to do that, I think Australia would have taken their eye off the ball. If Australia are absolutely on it for the two games, I can't see how we're getting in. I hope we are. I hope I'm wrong. Um, the only way in, like I said, is Australia just take their foot off the gas. Well, Ryan, uh, for you, is that is that uh, on the cards at all? Will Australia lose focus? Are they looking further ahead now to challenges in the subcontinent and so on over 2022? Or is it, you know, all on 5 mil? Oh, no, I mean, there's there's been discussion which sort of surprised me a little bit about the future, which is... Um, which is surprising, but I guess in a way, uh, the way that the context around it was that they want to be be known or become a, a, a really good side and consistent side and not just our conditions. So, but I, I definitely don't think that the ball, that they'll take their eye off the ball. You know, the, the idea is, as I said earlier, to win the Ashes as soon as you can. Um, now it's 3-0. They'll be definitely thinking 5-0 in the, in the long term. Obviously, their eyes will be on the next Test match first. Um, that was sort of out. I mean, the, the, the series I played in 2013-14, that was, we got the 3-0, we got the 4-0, and then obviously we spoke about 5-0. Ultimately, you think you want to win 5-0, but you've got to take the next step at a time. I, there's no doubt that they'd be thinking that now. Um, but again, their eyes will be set on Sydney. Um, you know, you look back, I guess you, 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 you have the opportunity again here to, to, to you know, you probably don't appreciate it until you further down the track when, you, when you've when you retired. But to look back and to say you won a series 5-0 against England, 
doesn't happen very often. So I'm sure the guys are really set on that. And I don't think they'd be taking their foot off the pedal. There's no doubt about that. So we'll, we'll um, as I said, we'll see how that goes. Hopefully Sydney goes ahead. We're still up, up in the air whether Sydney goes ahead uh, because of COVID, but let's hope it does. <laughs> that might be England's best hope. Um, thanks, chaps. It's, it's been a pleasure. Look forward to having you on again in the new year when we maybe will get some different topics to talk about. <laughs> thanks, Alan. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs>
yes, they are the best players available, but there are so many flaws in those players that um, you've got to treat, you've got to tread carefully because, you know, there are some, if you end up with a situation whereby you lose this, and it's going to be 5-0, let's face it, it's going to be a miracle if it's not, but if you lose this and then decide, well, we, we obviously we need to bin all these players because they're rubbish, you end up in a situation and actually, it's it's quite quite pertinent because England have actually gone and matched Bangladesh's record in 2003, the most defeats in a test year. But Bangladesh did exactly the same as what England are doing now. In 2003, they were picking young guys, 22-year-olds, 20, 20, plucking them from nowhere and saying, go on, have a go, because you know, you're better, better off learning, being thrown in at the deep end and learning on, on the hoof because some of you might come good and lo and behold, 10 years, 20 years later, you've got Shakib Al-Hassan, Tammy Mikbal, Mushfika, all these guys who, who, are, who, are, who are good enough and have come through the mill and, you know, age 35 or so, are still good enough to, to prop up their team. That's what England could do if they, if they don't burn these kids alive. If, you know, Don Best somehow, you know, learns on the hoof in, and doesn't get fried alive by his experiences. Hassib Hamid, likewise. Ollie Pope. Mr. Averaging 99.94 at the Oval. There's nothing that he can do in county cricket that is better than what he's doing already. He has, he has beaten the system at county cricket. He's averaging Don Bradman-esque numbers for his home, home, home club at his home ground. That is, a, that is a proof that the system is not nurturing him well enough. Because you look at the way he batted in those first two tests, he was all over the place, particularly against Nathan Lyon. He's just, um, you know, he needs, he needs a better structure around him to make him into a better player and that goes for all of these guys who are probably going to be very vulnerable by the end of the Hobart test if it happens um if they just say right okay you're on on your bike kids go back to county cricket and get better they're not going to get better in county cricket um but and who's going to come in Jake Libby I mean you know what are we going to do and Rob you Rob Yates maybe I mean he might be good but he'd probably have exactly the same problem in a few years time anyone mm. anyone ever heard of Hannan Saka Bangladesh's no, well, remember him? Uh, well, uh, it, it does <laughs> ring a bell. Yes, I, 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 yeah, I do. Well, Hanan Saka, Hanan Saka could have been could have been a contender. He was good. <laughs> no one's heard of him since. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I hesitate to ask who is going to be the Hanan Saka of this England generation. Um, Nash, I mean, England obviously did make some changes for this, uh, the third test, but it's a, a symptom of, of kind of, uh, well, modern touring, but also COVID life and, uh, and restrictions that, uh, I mean, that, that they brought in two batters uh, to the top six, Zach Crawley and Johnny Bairstow, neither of whom has played a first class game uh, this winter. Uh, you know, they're basing their form on. Uh, an intra-squad game which was pretty much rained on for, for uh, two of the four days and and their form in the nets so it I mean the chances of that coming off were, were always um, slim I suppose. Yes they were it was a huge odds against them even before that game started and then to have to bat first on that pitch and I don't, I don't think the result would have been different if England had bowled first but they might have knocked Australia over for something like their first inning score, but in the first innings of the game, so might have felt sort of in it with the bat when their turn, turn came, even knocking Australia over for 260, they were 80 behind, and I don't think anyone saw 60 all out, but no one thought England were, were able to get enough runs ahead to make it a proper contest. Um, and, I mean, I think it, it is worth saying that last hour on the second day, 
was some of the great fast bowling that you will see. How Pat Cummins ended with zero wickets in that innings, no one will really know. Um, obviously, part of it's because Scott Boland took six of them, but um, <laughs> but just the, the quality of that. I mean, there are some numbers flying around that um, it, it was up there with the greatest hours or whatever metric they wanted to use, 15 overs, 12 overs of pace bowling that has been. I mean, Mitchell Stark, I mean, uh, what a series he's having after all the talk coming into it. Um, and that would have that would have had many a side fall down in, in that session that night. There was there was some fantastic pace bowling in, in, in that hour. So um, but having said that, um, England, yeah, that, that first innings when they're 185, they, they could have got to 250. They might have psychologically been in the in the game, but yeah, just a lot of the same sort of mistakes being repeated, and um, not least the one that Andrews touched on, Joe Root nicking off outside off again, and kind of his his reactions. He's running out of things to hit or punch as he walks off. Now he's gone helmet bat, sort of throwing the bat over his shoulder. I don't know. I don't Keep know what away he'll come from up the lockers. With. Well, yeah, I, I I don't know what he'll come up with in Sydney if he nicks off for fifty again. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I hinted at one of the earlier answers, it, it does look as though Burns might come back in. For this, this next test, it's hard to see how they can keep Hamid in again. Um, it looks as though Burns has been doing a bit of technical work with the one coach England have left in the camp at the moment, which is Graham Thorpe, who clearly has a lot on his plate right now. Um, but other than that, I mean, I actually thought Johnny Bairstow shaped up okay in that first innings, albeit low bar, got 35. Um, but for a guy who hadn't batted really for six months, he, he, he shaped up okay in his LBW in the second innings was marginal. I think you can say that was marginal, mm. um, albeit it was hitting the stump. So fine that it's out, but it was a marginal call um, on the field. Um, but yeah, and then they will they look to rejig the bowling again? Um, perhaps they're going to need a spinner in Sydney. I mean, Australia, like I said, are thinking of picking two. Um, I thought Mark Wood bowled so well again in that game. I mean, he, he just he put, he puts his heart and soul into it, whatever he does. Uh, Jimmy, magnificent again. Um, Robinson looks a bit of a busted flush now after three tests in a row, so wouldn't be at all surprised if he sits out Sydney. Um, but yeah, it'll be shuffling those deck chairs again, really, and it's hard to see um, hard to see anything other than a, another Australian win, unless someone does something like a, a Michael Vaughan from 2002-03 or something and scores a blinding 100 and the Australians lose a bit of interest, but I don't sense that in this Australian team. They're, they're hungry for 5-0, they're hungry for World Test Championship points. Uh, yeah, and they're just hungry to keep beating England. So, yeah, I don't see that changing. Uh, well, uh, Sydney is, of course, England's winningest ground in the 21st century in Australia. Two two wins there uh, in 20-odd in years. Um, so there's that to cling to. Um, Miller, obviously, a lot of, um, a lot of focus on uh, the position of Chris Silverwood uh, after after losing the Ashes in, in pretty much record time. Uh, I mean, the, the original Supremo, Ray Illingworth, departed uh, this week, uh, sadly. Uh, uh, Sil um, Silverwood has been sort of described as, as the, the Supremo of our times. He's a selector, a selector and coach. Um, he's currently going to be doing neither in, in Sydney because he's um, got a quarantine because of COVID regs. But uh, do, do you see his tenure lasting beyond this tour? No, absolutely not. I mean, first first and foremost, I mean, just a, just a word for his horrible position to be in now. I mean, I can't imagine how grim it will be for him next couple of days, basically knowing that his his neck is on the chopping block and there he is in isolation, unable to 
interact with the team or or, or generally generally dead, dead man walking and you know he's been condemned to his cell hasn't he it's, it, it really is as bad as that hopefully his covid isn't that bad <laughs> well, <laughs> well no indeed and so so exactly so I, I i wish him well in in that regard but but i mean he's he's out of his depth in this job um i i i'm afraid to say i've been deeply unimpressed with him as a as a communicator first and foremost i mean coaching is coaching at this level is is as much about communication as it is about technical input and expertise because you know frankly these guys ought to know their techniques well enough not to not to need a, a guy who was a fast bowler let alone a, a batting coach uh back in the day to to tell them how to do it but i mean i i i again i picked out one thing he wrote uh right at the start of this summer when uh, when he was announced as this supremo i mean supremo is a very loose phrase i mean ray illingworth was a supremo who who had the courage of his convictions and 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 defiance to tell people when they were being idiots and uh was as wrong as he was right as often as not but you could never doubt that he he came into it with with absolute conviction i've never really felt the same conviction about silverwood's methods and the way in which he wrote about the his first test squad of the summer against New Zealand, in which he said that uh, this, you know, playing the top, top two nations in the world, New Zealand and India, in this summer will be great preparation for the Ashes. I mean, talk about you know, making yourself a hostage to fortune. It's an it's, how can you write off an entire summer against the two best te- best test teams in the world? Absolute treat. You know, England have England spent all this time whacking on about the, the 2019 and you know the the world cup in the ashes being a massive doublehead a huge opportunity to to really captivate a nation and you know inspire a generation all that nonsense then you get india the best most popular team in the world new zealand the best team in the world by definition the world test championship victory and basically fob them off and say, well, you know, we're, we, thanks for coming, but you know, all we're really interested in is Rocky up at Brisbane. It's just bloody rude, frankly. And it, and it he deserved to get get a hurry up on that front. Um, you know, England lost both series. Obviously, they haven't technically lost the India series because of uh, money reasons and COVID and, and and all the rest of it. But you know, frankly, we both saw the London tests and know there was it was pretty much one way traffic by the by the latter stages of that series. Um, so you know what has what has Silverwood done to to progress this team? He he, they've they've been they've died in a hole since that Lord's Test that I mentioned at the top of the show. Um, his role in white ball cricket is completely irrelevant. I mean, Owen Morgan rules that team with a rod of iron, and um, you know Silverwood was out there as a passenger, frankly, at the World Test Championship, uh, the at the T Twenty World Cup. So what does he offer there? Um, I do not see how he survives this. Um, it's not all his fault. Um, the, it's very convenient for him to be a fall guy, a scapegoat. It, it takes the pressure off other people. I think if he topples, then Gashi Giles should go with him, frankly. Um, I think Gilo is... Uh, I've always thought he was probably a little bit too precious for the role of director. I think he's, I think he's, you know, he made some pretty bullish statements and when he first came in about, you know, banning football and all the rest of it. And you know, I, I thought he probably not quite focused on the, on the main events when it comes to, comes to his role as director of cricket. So um, there'd been all sorts of speculation about you know, appointing jobs for the boys. I mean, I don't know whether that's true or not, but I, I do sense that there's a fair amount of um, protecting your own backs within the hierarchy at the ECB at the moment. So, um, it's it's not healthy. The, the 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 systemic problems run from 
from the the troops on the ground who aren't good enough all the way up to the the decisions made in the boardroom which you know we banged on about this for years but you know by focusing on white ball cricket for 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 6 years we got an absolute christmas bonus in 2019 the the, the most glorious world cup fin- finale you could ever hope for absolutely can't argue with the merit of that focus but what we can argue with is the fallout at the other end and you know the piece i wrote this week about um what it does to the ashes and what it does to the uh prestige of test cricket essentially england have spent the past well f- probably four years i think they were they were a half decent side for two years um before the rot really set in um but for the past four years, they've basically been trading on Test cricket as being the pinnacle because it's the pinnacle. You know, there's been absolutely no structure to that pinnacle. They've hollowed out the game from within, but it's still the towering the pinnacle because it's been around since 1877. Um, unless they start putting some foundations back in PDQ, uh, that pinnacle is going to crumble. And um, that's that's the challenge now. You've got your white ball glory. You've got a very decent setup. The hundred, I mean, you know, we can bang on about the hundred, but I don't think I think Belly was talking about earlier. It's not the hundreds' fault that England are rubbish at Test cricket. The hundreds only just have come in, but it is incumbent on the ECB to recognise that if they've got this new product that's going to inspire a new generation, they've got to now shore up the old product that keeps the money coming in because you know <laughs> there's an awful lot of money tied up in Test cricket still, and that's not going to change in in any hurry at all. And if you end up hollowing the game out so much that you know tv companies aren't going to pay what was it 1.1 billion pounds for the last round of um um, of ecb media rights you're not going to get that for for what they're offering at the moment are you uh and that's coming up again in the next couple of years so um they need to need to start thinking about that um lots lots of issues um all colliding at once frankly and no easy answers um of course i mean we all kind of grew up with um England being woeful um and, and and you know that inspired a generation in many ways but Nasha uh I mean you it's touched so true on... <laughs> you so touched... true so true but you know go to Nasha but that's that's a very good way, good way of putting it <laughs> identifiable um heroes but uh, you I mean you mentioned the batting average being uh as low as 1999 54 ducks in in the the calendar year that was level with 1998 but i mean is this in some ways worse for you uh, this shambles yeah absolutely because english cricket is now has for 20 years has been ultra professional from the tv deals that miller mentioned millions and millions pumped into the game central contracts the the players couldn't be better looked after and that isn't the be all and end all and, and there's nothing wrong with them being looked after because Top-level sport is, is pressurised. It's it's an elite cutthroat thing. So I've got no issue with plays being looked after. And that, but um, but compared to the structure that was there, say in '99, and going back to those, I think before we came into this segment, I just I, I did mention sort of off air about kind of how the 1990s, the Ashes there were, were way, way more competitive than this. Yeah, clearly England were usually two 0 down, but then they came back, and there was that famous draw in Sydney '94-5, then they won in Adelaide. There was the famous 12-run win in Melbourne in 98-99. And, and if it hadn't been for Simon Taupel missing that run out of Slater in the Sydney, the game after, it could well have been 2-2 in that series. That was an unappreciated classic series, that 98-99, because England played well in the first test of that series as well. It was only the, the second, and I say only, it was enough, but it's the second and third, they were ble- really blown away. Uh, but even series like 97 in England, um, things like that, kind of, that there were 
94 which I've mentioned. Yeah, so yeah, th- th- those players, there was all there's kind of like that. Partly Australia had that weakness of sort of falling off the cliff after winning a series and they would invariably lose a test after the Ashes was secured. I and mean, then that changed under the Steve Waugh era. And then Ricky Ponting made them a lot more cutthroat in sort of trying to win the so-called dead rubbers. But 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 there was just there was there were, there were clearly there were different, there weren't as many conflicting demands maybe on the players at that time. But and I hate to say it, but there seemed to be more heart and spirit in those teams than, than there is right now. And we're setting aside Joe Root and James Anderson and, and Ben Stokes. Um, there has been a distinct lack of, of, of fight and, and, and kind of showing up in this series. And you can, be, you can be beaten, you can be thrashed even in test cricket, in sport. That kind of ultimately doesn't really matter in a sense. But you, it kind of like this has just been handed over to Australia. And you mentioned earlier in the show about sort of like, what's the view down here and how's it, how's it being taken? And it kind of like, I mean, I do think in their heart of hearts, Australia do like earning wins in, in, in test cricket. I, I think, I think even I, certainly in a long series, they don't, don't mind being handed one or two maybe, but too many. And, and they kind of like, I mean, just having the internal chat with colleagues down here in Australia, they're saying that they're like calling this a rubbish ashes. They don't. And that's, that's going back to what Miller says about test cricket. That's the concern. I think when the opposition are all, all also going, well, that's been a bit rubbish. I'll go and find something. So the Oz Open tennis is due to start soon. The the AFL season will be getting into pre-season in a few weeks' time. And people are now going, oh, well, thank goodness for that, because this Ashes has, has been rubbish. Some people are even starting to watch the BBL. So, um, <laughs> but but so 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 I that that is a concern. So um, so yeah, I mean, this is just this has been an all-time, an all-time low with two tests remaining, but can't see it getting any better. This has been an all-time low for England um, and it's been a real shame because like I say there's been a lot of anticipation perhaps some of it was falsely placed of that I've sort of of course Ash's hype is always over the top but I remember the conversation we had before the first test match saying oh look Ben Stokes is back look the, the Tim Payne saga Australia got a new captain who are they going to pick at what who are they going to open with Warner who's going to keep wicket who's going to bat five um, well that's all worked out jolly fine for them because it's gone seamlessly but England haven't made them work for it and that's been the, the biggest shame. Yeah, even Marcus Harris is scoring runs now. Um, <laughs> Miller, just to, just to conclude, really, we, we started with um, mentioning Joe Root's uh, all-time high, uh, but obviously he has overseen nine defeats in 2021. He has surpassed Alistair, Alistair Cook's record for defeats as England Test captain. He's going to stay on for at least the next two tests. Uh, there's no, there's no um, chance of that uh, changing now. But thereafter, do you see it as sort of uh, his decision to make? Are there are there, are there any other candidates? And um, England's problems clearly go much wider than just the captaincy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's less a captaincy than a hostage situation, frankly, where, where we're concerned now. It's, it, it's like, well, who, if, if not him, then who? I mean, Rory Burns, frankly, would would have been would have been my pick just because he looked like the best of the rest, and he's got experience of of being a leader. Uh, but of course, England. I mean, you know, again, going back to what I was saying about Hasib Mead. I mean, how you can drop Rory Burns for the decisive Test match of an Ashes series when basically you've spent the entire past cycle trying to build build this guy up to be the next Alistair Cook. Surely you trust him. Say, right, come on, this is your moment. Front up, for God's sake. Uh, now or never, because he's not coming back. He, he may, he, he, you know, they talk about guys who are never going to play again. This may be it for Rory Burns. So, um, you know, they've they've torched one option there um, by some pretty daft thinking on on several levels. Um, 
beyond that, it's Ben Stokes. And, you know, there's so many issues with handing captain to the, to the all-rounder. I do think he's very different to, to Botham and, and Flintoff beforehand, not least because he fundamentally he's a batting all-rounder, not a bowling all-rounder. And so, you know, if if being captain means he sort of doubles down and becomes more of a batsman um, and maybe bowls less, then I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. But it's not ideal, given that you really want Ben Stokes to be the free-spirited match winner in whatever role is is best suited so yeah it comes down to comes down to root and um you know everything comes down to root the whole entire year has come down to root and um i don't see i don't see how they get away from that now um but it's extraordinary isn't it i mean you know here we are is a hit trusting a guy to keep on leading who is about to uh about to lead england well you know let's presume it's five nil he will have captained england to <laughs> nine defeats in 10 tests in australia and he's the first person in 100 years to captain more than one Ashes tour. It's incredible. You only ever get one shot at an Ashes because the Ashes is the most important thing. England are getting two shots through Joe Root because they've got no, no alternative. If that doesn't sum up where their test cricket is at the moment, nothing does. And, you know, the last guy, Johnny Douglas in 1920, he was only captain because of the Great War. And basically everyone else had been in the trenches for, for four years um, so you know, here you go, Johnny. Have another go because, uh, frankly, there's no no one left. Um, it, it, we're, we're talking about these sort of these sort of levels of of comparison. It's 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 pretty pitiful. Um, but just go, just finally, I, I I I'm on one now. But just go, <laughs> but to go back to what Nasha was saying about the 1990s, um, he made a point about there was more spirit, more fight, and it's very easy to get get caught up in the sort of nonsense about how professional professionals these days are cosseted and molly coddled and you know they 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 don't know they're born it's not, you can't go down that route but the alternative to the alternative take on that is that essentially the team in the 1990s was so left out to left to hang out to dry that frankly the only players who made it as test cricketers in those days were the most mentally resilient they did a study uh, in fact i can't remember who it was it was some some um some study at the turn about 2000 about the mental resilience in in sport and basically the the top 20 of of the the most mentally resilient players in in in, in english cricket were basically a who's who of england's cricket team you didn't get weak mentally weak players making it to england because you know if you were mentally weak you you would you get found out by the dressing room politics or the or you know you talk about railing with i mean railing with there's a famous story in 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 um Mike Athens autobiography where you know whereby he ends up running all the all the all the training drills in in on tour of South Africa because Illy's just sitting by the pool with his feet up saying well it's not my job to, to do training sessions uh, uh, there was no one else to do it so you know Athens are fine I'll I'll bring out the cones and I'll I'll do do the hits and all the rest of it you know you were you were forced to front up a bit more in those days which isn't to say that these these guys are are, are just just weak and and don't know how to don't know how to function but there was no option in the 1990s you had to if you if you were getting beaten it was like it was on you to find your own own solutions and um if you didn't find the solutions you weren't in the team in the first place um right now it's you know it, it's just all they're all looking a bit lost um there's there's no there's no real leadership and you know i i kind of include root in that in many ways because he's many things but he's not really an inspiring captain he never has been um but he is an inspiring batter he he can score runs for fun uh, but frankly, it's not much fun at the moment. It's all a bit miserable. So uh, even those are drying up. Um, no easy answers. 
but um, we'll keep watching because that's what we do. <laughs> we have no option. Um, <laughs> not for the first time, I think we're left to conclude things were much better in the 90s. Um, okay, we've we've taken enough positives for one week. For you, England supporter, the ashes are over. And with two tests to come, Australia are once again searching for that bucket of whitewash. It's probably going to take more than a few New Year's resolutions to stop them from here. My thanks to Miller and Nasha and to you all for tuning in. If you're a masochist, you can keep up with all the latest on ESPNCrickInfo.com. And we'll be back for more in 2022. How bad can it be?